episode number 222 of the Emotionally Equipped for Life podcast. Hi, this is Shira Gura. Welcome to my podcast. I am on a mission to get people emotionally equipped. I created two powerful tools that are a totally new approach to mindfulness. I'm the author of two award-winning books, Getting Unstuck, Five Simple Steps to Emotional Well-Being, and The Clear Way, Five Simple Steps to Be Mentally Prepared for Anything. These books are based on my tools, which guide you to feel calm, in control, and empowered in your life and in your relationships. You can learn more about these books and more by heading over to my website, shiragura.com. Thank you so much for choosing to be with me today. And now for today's episode. Hello, my dear listeners, and thank you so much for joining me today. So last month, I started what I hope will be an ongoing tradition of interviewing one person a month on this podcast. The people I tend to interview are not necessarily the big named or famous people in the mindfulness world like John Kabat-Zinn or Tara Brach or Byron Katie, but rather your everyday person just like me who is using these tools to start creating the lives they truly want to live. And so today I have the pleasure of sharing with you an interview I had with Krista Luzio. Krista lives in Chicago and has been practicing law as a medical malpractice defense lawyer for the past 13 years. She's a mother of two young children, is a writer, artist, and musician. Krista found me via this podcast, and she contacted me soon after she learned about her husband's infidelity. I wanted to interview her to share with you what is possible in your life. Even if Krista's situation and stories are not exactly what yours look like, I do believe you'll be able to find yourself in her stories, and I believe she will inspire you just like she has and continues to inspire me. So without further ado, here's the interview. Krista, thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed on the podcast. I am really excited to share with the listeners more about your experiences of working with the tools. Thank you for having me and thank you for helping me so much. Okay, so if you can share with the listeners a little bit about who you are, where you live, what you do. Sure. My name is Krista Luzio. I'm an attorney in Chicago. So I'm a mom of two. I have a five-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter. I work as a medical malpractice lawyer. So I defend hospitals, doctors, nurses who are being sued for, you know, some allegations of negligence in the way they provided care and treatment to someone. Usually the plaintiff, the my opponent, is someone who's been terribly injured. They're big cases and they're serious injuries and that can be heavy. And then, you know, I've been going through a lot in the last year or so in a separation with my husband and trying to manage kids and work. And I think the personal significant changes in a time of great, I don't know, change just in the country and with COVID and it's all, it's been a lot. It's been a lot to manage and handle and and so it's been really helpful to work with your tools and, and that's part of how I got to you. But yeah, that's where I'm at, I guess. That's who I am. That's where I'm at. Yep. Great. 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So that's great. So you can tell, tell the listeners, how did you start with the tools? How did you find me? How did you learn about this work? So in March of 2020, I had been starting a trial, which is a big, just is a huge deal for me. I don't go to trial that often. These cases that I work on tend to settle or resolve in different ways. And so I would say, you know, you might have one or two trials a year um, and they're a big deal. And so I was getting ready to start a trial. And at that time, my husband moved out and I, um, we just had a split that felt very surprising to me. A lot of new information came out that I just really destabilized my whole life. And then we stopped the trial because there was a lockdown in the country and um, related to the coronavirus. My kids came home, there was no more daycare or childcare. My husband moved out and I had a terribly hard time. Um, I had a I had a lot of trouble eating, um, doing normal activities. I I was able to put energy into taking care of my kids, and that was about it. Um, and that lasted a while. And I um, I think it was the summer then that I had been listening to some different podcasts, and you know I was reading a lot. I was reading a lot of books on maybe like Brene Brown or I'm trying to think some of the things, uh, Elizabeth Lesser, um, Sue Monk-Kidd, um, Glennon Doyle just came out with Untamed. And so I was reading just a lot at the, and that was helping me. And then I was, you know, sometimes I would go to my office where there was no, there were no people and I was messed up, but I just needed to get out of my house. And if my husband was with the kids, I would ride my bike or go downtown to my office and be there alone. And I was just really having trouble putting any focus into my work. Um, And so I would get in my office and I just felt anxiety and uncertainty and just real hard feelings. And I would leave and go walk around the city because it was like all I could do. And I would listen to podcasts and I was prompted to listen to your podcast, like came up as some kind of a suggestion or something. And so I started to listen to your podcast in the summer of 2020 and um, they were so helpful. I think, you know, I had started going to therapy, which is something I had never done before. You know, that was a lot of sharing and validating of very challenging feelings and frustration, disappointment, grief, goodness. But there were times I felt like those feelings would just drag me down. Like I couldn't process them. I think I was dealing with a lot of um, the heaviness of just thinking that that is how it's always going to be. Now I'm alone and I'm going to feel like this forever. I'm going to feel these feelings. I'm not going to be able to eat. I'm not going to be able to work. I'm going to be just walking around the city forever. You know, your podcast, you would take really concrete (laughs) everyday experiences and break down how you use your tools to manage them. And I think there were some like basic fundamental philosophies that really resonated with me. And then I think the practicality of like, this is a practice. We all work on it every day and it can help you move through feelings. So it's not about suppressing or ignoring conflict or hard feelings. I think one of the first times we worked together, you know, we talked about like 
we're not supposed to feel all easy feelings. And I think about that all the time that to be an alive whole human, you're going to feel easy feelings and difficult feelings and that probably equally, right? And so there are seasons in your life and maybe you have some more easy feelings and maybe there's more difficult feelings, but on a day-to-day basis, you're probably gonna feel equal amounts of easy and difficult feelings and neither type of feeling lasts forever. And that really helps me move through. And so after I listened to your podcast, and I think it also helped that they were like 20 minutes. So I could go for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. I would go for a walk. I would listen. I would take some notes. I was doing some journaling, which I still do a lot of. I've found really helps me investigate my thoughts and feelings. I do that better when I write it down, which is just something I learned about myself over the past year. And so I, I would work back because you have had a number of podcasts. And so I would sort of jump back or sometimes you would refer back, you know, you might want to listen to this podcast where I walk through this tool. And so I would listen, I would take some notes and then I would go back. And I think you were getting ready to start um, like a small group. And I, I thought that was a great idea, maybe with around three people. And so you were talking about it on the podcast and I thought that was a great idea. I even thought you know, that would be a good idea to find a small group of female lawyers, you know, that would be interested in in using the tools in our work. And and so I reached out to you more thinking like, oh, this small group thing sounds interesting. And we had this really lovely conversation and I sort of unpacked all these things that I was going through. And you said, you know, you said you, you would love to work with me. And then I was going through a lot. I think you validated like, this is a lot, like you have a lot to work through and process and and that thought you could help me and and we talked about the different ways that you work and oh it's been such a gift to me i am grateful for your help and it's really made a difference for me i don't know if you want to share with the listeners a little bit more about what happened you know about a year ago right yeah so um so yeah, in March, um, I had been on getting ready for this trial, and in January, my husband had said he was thinking of a separation. He wanted a separation, and that was a huge surprise to me. And as we unpacked some of the reasons, I, I felt very confused and surprised. And then in March, I found out about infidelity a relationship that he had. And it was, um, my daughter had been playing with his Apple watch. So my daughter was one, was baby and, um, you know, had been playing with the watch and I was going to put it away and a text message came through and then I could read all these text messages. Oof, it was rough. And so, you know, I just came to understand the scope and the nature of their relationship. And it was awful with someone he worked with. And, oh goodness, yeah, destabilizing is the word, right? And it just felt like my world was turned upside down. And we've spent, you know what, a year and a half not knowing exactly what to do, which I keep saying that, you know, which is interesting. And I know we talk about that. I say, I don't know, I don't know what to do, I don't know almost as like a placeholder when I need a breath, like you would say, um, I can, I've started saying, I don't know. 
And that's not true. I know a lot. I have a lot of information about myself, about what I want for my life, about what this has meant to me. And that has changed and progressed over the year and a half. When I think our work was earlier is I felt so unstable. I felt like like out of control of my own reactions to things. And I'm, I'm not sure how to describe that, but just that I wanted to be able to weather the ups and downs, like not fight the waves, right? Not fight the waves of the natural ups and downs of life, but to like practice sort of accepting and letting go of expectations and what I thought my life was going to look like so that I could take control of what I had control over my own, what I want to create in this life, what I want for my life and not just feel so at the mercy of circumstance. And I think this, these tools really do help with that. They have helped me. I do think I have tremendous empathy and resilience. And I think you know, part of me just wants to skip over the hard feelings, right? Like go straight to forgiveness or straight to some resolution, reconciliation, or all these things that are not totally within my control. I suppose forgiveness is. But you have to be honest with yourself. And that can be hard for me. I think that I did not learn or practice like just sitting with hard feelings, acknowledging them, not forcing myself to move through them too quickly. And I think some of that is suppressing hard feelings. I just want to not, I don't want to live in conflict or I'd like to skip over that part, please. <laughs> and, but I, I think that's been a, an important part of this work because I think your tools, it starts with stopping and acknowledging and sitting with the hard feelings. So feelings like anger and betrayal and grief and that longing, right? It's not about just ignoring them or skipping over them. You have to start with sitting with that. And I think, you know, there's times in my family relationships and my friendships in my work one of the thoughts that I work with, one of my beliefs that I think we're working with together is like my value is to bring positivity and optimism. That's what people are looking for from me. You know, I'm the problem solver. I'm the one who doesn't complain. It's not a problem for anybody, right? And um, you can count on me to bring a positive spin. But I, and I think I've told myself that that's what people are looking for from me which can sometimes mean I'm not being authentic, like I'm not acknowledging even for myself. And I think there's up until this experience, like I think I believed often that I didn't have hard feelings, that they weren't there, that 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 was something that I could avoid and that that was a goal, like to, if you just plan enough and look at the good side or, you know, look at what you have, not what you don't have, you can avoid hard feelings. Like that's the way to human the best is to, is to just be pleasant and happy and because that's what your family and friends want from you. And I don't believe that's true anymore. But I, I also, I've shown up more authentically this year with family, friends, in my work. And I'm just so grateful to my personal relationships for how they have shown up for me welcomed that authenticity. I have found my friends and colleagues 
who are also my friends and my family. It's certainly these honest, hard feelings do make them uncomfortable. I don't think they like to see me that way, but they've held space for it. They've shown up for me and I'm grateful for that. But, and I think that the balancing of like acknowledging these hard feelings, investigating what the belief is underneath them, and then really considering if that's true and if there's an alternative to be considered to balance it out, that has been a tremendously helpful combination for me because you don't just wallow or define yourself with these hard feelings, which just doesn't sit well with me, but it does encourage you to experience them and let them move through you like energy and and work with them so that it's more manageable. Um, And I do feel like a much more stable, strong, and then alive person. I think that, you know, that's part of this too, is that the spectrum of my feelings are growing and, and that can be hard, but it's also bringing a depth and aliveness to my human experience. So, I mean, I never would characterize this as something good that happened to me, but I think it's good sometimes for me to remember the growth that I'm experiencing related to these very hard life circumstances. If you are open to sharing, um, I would love to know how you might be using the tools relating to your husband right now. So, you know, you mentioned that he was cheating on you and then he wanted to separate and it's been a while, you know, that you now have been separated Um, But you're still, of course, connected because you have the kids and there is still a struggle there because there's not much clarity on what the vision is, you know, moving forward. And I'm wondering how or if at all you're using the tools in that situation as well. Yeah, I mean, I I use those tools a lot right now. I think the way I'm using the tools the most right now personally is with boundary setting, which I never, I mean, that's definitely something I I needed to work on or just really had not given any attention. I didn't learn much about what boundaries were or setting boundaries with friends, family in my life. I think I felt like you know, up to this point, it was a lot about just feeling like not enough. Like I didn't have enough to give to my husband, my kids, my mom, my friends, my colleagues at work, and just trying to trying to give everyone what they wanted so that I could maybe get some time for myself, right? It was like sort of my practice in life up until really this separation and you know what's been going on with me lately and so boundary setting is new territory for me um and that's something that i've been working with more is just i think recognizing i needed some space from we were doing therapy together and therapy individually and then we would have family time regularly and there was just a lot of push and pull about where our, our relationship was going and i still don't have so much clarity on that, but I do understand what I want to create for my life, what I want to welcome into my life. And and so setting some of these boundaries where we're not doing therapy together anymore, I need space from, from that relationship to 
just process some of the hard feelings that I think I can sometimes suppress and really envision what I want for my life moving forward. And so, and I do think that there's a lot of, you know, moments where maybe I would consider, I was thinking of sending a text and then I, or making a phone call or sending out an invitation, something like that to my husband. And I think that lately I will get clear before doing that and then recognize that the boundary is safer and is just what I choose right now. And so I think it's a more getting clear for myself on a day-to-day basis on how I want to handle certain situations or co-parenting. And it's hard. I mean, I have decisions to make and there is still a bit of a lack of clarity in that regard. But um, I think I'm able to check in with myself on where I'm honestly and authentically at on a day-to-day basis feel these hard feelings like anger and betrayal and grief, disappointment, longing, work with them, sit with them. And then I feel more empowered to create the kind of life I want, even though it doesn't, you know, match up with maybe what my expectations were or what I thought you're supposed to have or do or, you know, and I I grew up with a single mom. Um, my dad passed away when I was a kid and it was my mom, my brother and I, and I have had to work through some of the, I think, fear and beliefs that are inside of me about parenting alone or what it means to be alone. I think there are some beliefs I have inside that are deep and longstanding and probably go back to my childhood that alone is something you you would never choose. It's something that happens to you, that it's hard to be alone, that it's not good to be alone, that you, it's sad, it's not what you want, it's worse. And so I think I get stuck there and I'm able to really investigate those thoughts. I don't believe that it's worse to be alone. Any, you know, I think that there's, I can acknowledge feeling lonely or sad or feeling, you know, grieving my expectations or the relationship I thought I had, the life that I had been planning for our family. So I can acknowledge that grief and then also work with these feelings that it's not, you know, you don't have, a family doesn't have to look one way. You can create healthy, authentic family in that looks different. And there's, you know, I'm able to do all these different things with my time. There's alone can be solitude, can be artistic, can be creative. There's all kinds of opportunities with alone time. Um, and so I'll, I'll use those considerations to get unstuck sometimes from lonely spots or times when just the empty house feels heavy. And I think I feel more um, stable and empowered to face this next phase, honestly, to recognize what I'm going to need with some of the boundary setting and the things that help me feel better, like going for runs or doing some of the art that I've been doing, playing my music to get through what will be a challenging season in my life. Maybe you can share with us, Krista. Um, some concrete examples of where you're you're using the tools, whether it's in your personal life. I know you recently went through a, a huge trial, so I don't know if you used the tools there when you were working um, during that three-week trial, but 
Maybe you can share with the listeners where, where do you find yourself using them on a daily basis? So just generally, I will get up in the morning and I have one of your journals that you sent me. And so I will, you know, start the morning by getting unstuck, right? So I, I walk through like if there's feelings that are coming up for me first thing in the morning, um, I'll quickly jot that down and and really investigate like, and I mean, I think in the morning and lately, a lot of it is, you know, I'll wake up with some anxiety or feeling like I have so much to get done today and it's never going to happen. And, or, um, you know, I'm really worried about something that I have to do that day. And, and I do, I, so I, right. So I'm a medical malpractice lawyer. And so the work I do is civil. So it's all about financial compensation for injuries. It's not criminal. And so the courts in Illinois, they're starting to um, open up lately in different for different ways. So a lot of our day-to-day maintenance has been done over Zoom. We're doing some depositions and things um, over Zoom meetings, but we have not been back in the courtroom until very recently. You know, myself and my partner who I've worked with for a long time, we just um, had a three-week in-person 12-person jury trial in Joliet, so in a city just outside of Chicago. And it was intense. It was uh, a lot of hours. I mean, those are a big deal. It was a big deal. And it was a lot. And I had a lot of worry about going back into the courtroom. I mean, I think it connected for me just I had been on trial when all this came out in March, and then we went into lockdown. And so there were just things about preparing for that and even considering being in the courtroom again that just connected for me with some of the personal things I was worried about. And then, you know, when I have these small kids and those are long, long hours and it's things like I couldn't pick them up from daycare. I wouldn't be back in time for that. I, I couldn't be managing the work and, you know, getting them through our night routine. And so I, my husband really stepped up and had the kids for almost three weeks. I hardly saw them during that period of time, during that trial. So it was interesting. It was a lot of, I had more space than I've ever had to focus my energy on this trial. And I also missed them tremendously. And I had to work through those feelings. And then, you know, I think in so many ways, so with the trial, like I would in the morning, maybe work through, um, you know, I have an important witness today and I'm feeling self-doubt and anxiety. What if something goes wrong? What if I freeze? What if I don't do a good job? What if the jury doesn't like me? You know, and then investigating some of those beliefs, like I am not good at this. I, I'm i not smart enough or clever enough on my feet. I'm not aggressive enough or assertive enough. I'm going to let them steamroll me. So some of my own personal stuff that I would then look at those beliefs and, and you know, I mean, I and I realize that they're often not true, right? That they're not 100% true, that I do have these skills. And, and then it was really important for me too, like, how do I want to show up? That's my choice. Sure, something could happen. The witness could say something I didn't expect. I could, something I didn't anticipate could come up that's all possible and out of my control. But what is in my control is how I show up, what kind of um, preparation I do going into it, and 
the words that were coming up for me quite a bit through this trial were like, I'm, I'm going to show up confident and calm and assertive, or I'm going to show up confident and calm and direct or focused or prepared. And it helped me so much. I think this was my day-to-day activity on this trial. I did feel more calm and confident in this work than I ever have. And, you know, and then there were moments in the day where, I mean, we're dealing with these these cases. So the case involved um, a 50-year-old man who was a practicing podiatrist, a father and a husband who came to the hospital um, with some neurologic symptoms that had started about the day before. And he went through a stroke code. So they were considering whether he had had a stroke. He had an MRI that was interpreted as showing no evidence of a stroke. And then my client, who is a neurologist, starts to work up other options. So it's thinking, okay, if the MRI is negative, it must not, you know, it's highly unlikely that it would be a stroke. So let's consider some alternatives and um, ends up treating him for this neurologic illness. And he keeps getting progressively worse. And 48 hours into his hospital admission, he is quadriplegic. And he and that is a permanent condition for him. So all this care took place in 2015. And he is still quadriplegic. That's permanent for him. Later in time, the family got a second opinion. And they had another MRI that did show a stroke in the brainstem. And then they that team looked back at the original MRI and saw that there was some evidence of that stroke before he, you know, when they did that first MRI and it had been misinterpreted. So, you know, I think the reality of the situation was he had had a brainstem stroke, came to the hospital, was treated for something else, and then later diagnosed. But really all his injuries were related to this stroke that happened before he got there to the hospital. And I also think that my client, the neurologist, the way, you know, she's entitled to rely on that MRI and she gave very reasonable, proactive care and that there's really not much you can do for a stroke. Um, And it's, I mean, it's much more complicated. And I mean, we had to explain all this stuff to a jury over three weeks. It was complicated medicine and then just heavy. It's like the most fundamental questions of life. Why did this bad thing happen to me? Is it someone's fault? Could something have been done different for me? And then reckoning with the realities of his life, of his care, how we deal with the care of the injured and disabled, just such heavy questions and subjects. And and I think we bring all these stories to the courtroom. And so I think day to day, there were just times that I think these tools were very helpful to me in just reckoning with like those heavy subjects and how to show up sympathetically and also, you know, really what I believe argue for the truth, argue that you can feel empathy for this family and also believe that the doctors did what they could and you can have a bad outcome and it's not someone's fault. Something didn't, wasn't done incorrectly. And of course it depends on the situation, but I really did believe that about this circumstance, that the care that was given was proactive, reasonable, that even if things had been done differently, it wouldn't have changed the outcome. He still had had that stroke. I'm trying to think of like a specific example um, where I would work with the tools. You know, going in for the day, I would get clear because I often had a lot of 
fear about, you know, what if this witness doesn't go the way I think, or what if I screw something up, or I'm not prepared the way I thought I was, and just getting clear that some of that might happen. And, you know, I am prepared. <laughs> I have, I, you know, had been working like 16 hour days. So I, I had what I needed. And if something came up, I would, I would pivot, I would handle it. I was there with a fantastic, talented um, partner who was the lead trial attorney that I was supporting. And, and we were a team, you know, that I'm supported by this team. I think there was definitely, you know, times that I would feel like, what if I don't do a good job for him, or he doesn't think I'm doing a good job, or he can see that I don't know what I'm doing. And so then I would just take a minute to either write, write that out, or, you know, I had this hour commute back and forth to the courthouse. So I would sometimes just talk it out. I would turn off the radio and talk through the getting clear or unstuck, you know, at times too, where, you know, he's not there to like pick apart what I'm doing. He wants me to succeed and he's a teammate. And so I'll ask these questions and I am going to show up confident and calm and prepared. I've done the work. <laughs> I'm ready for this. I can think on my feet. I can do this and I, and it would help. And I still experienced the anxiety and fear, but I just think it was more manageable. I think there were plenty of times I was able to turn some of that anxious energy into fuel or excitement where it's like, okay, that's true. Anything could happen. Let's consider, you know, where maybe that was my thought that was like, gosh, anything could happen. This could go south on me. And then considering there are, all these possibilities then one of the possibility is that you're going to do great or you're going to figure this out or you're going to show up just the way you wanted yes anything can happen that can be that can be a good possibility too and and that helped me and then i also was dealing with just missing the kids and that i would have just heavy feelings hard feelings about kids are supposed to be with their mom this is selfish or this is hurting them I miss them. I just want them to be with me. Um, and and then I think acknowledging that's real, sure. Um, you miss them and, and feeling that. And then just considering that sometimes like it, that it's a gift to miss your kids, right? That there's this, like after going through the pandemic lockdown phase, like being with them day in, day out, like there's... Sometimes there's a luxury in, in getting some space to miss your children at that age where they're so little and they need so much from you. And and that they're with their dad who loves them and is a good dad. They're with their grandparents. They're swimming. They're doing all these different things that they were able to do early in the pandemic. Splitting time was very hard for me. Uh, having them not with me was hard. It's hard, right? Obviously. <laughs> um, but a friend said to me, you know, it's quality, not quantity. And I really believe that. And that's a thought that I, a consideration that I practice a lot because I, I agree with that, that it's not always being with them every minute, that we are able to have quality interactions and that time is so precious to me that I have with them. And when it's just me and the two kids and we go to the pool or we just sit in the house and we talk over a meal or they have my full energy and attention and 
it fills me up. I think it fills them up at different times. And there's just an intensity and a focus to our time together. I'm grateful for that mindset. And I do think that that has changed now that we don't spend all our time together. And I would think about that in the trial too. And that sometimes I would I would practice a consideration that it's a privilege to have the space and the opportunity to put all my focus and energy and to use my brain in this way into something that I believe is important and meaningful to me and that I'm, I feel good at and that my skills were growing and getting better every day. And that helped me get through those stuck spots where, you know, going into it. And, and I mean, that would sometimes happen to me in the middle of the courtroom. And I would take a few breaths, maybe write in my notepad, you know, I would be taking notes, like if it was someone else's witness and I would be taking notes and I might jot down a few lines that like, ooh, I'm all of a sudden I'm stuck. I'm stuck in missing my kids. And then just sit with that for a minute and then just consider that that all those considerations that that's a gift that I will be with them again and it will be wonderful. It will be connective that they're healthy and it's good for them to get some space too. They're with people who care about them and are caring for them. And that's really important. And then I think also the consideration that it's a privilege to have the space and support to do this work. And that usually would help me help bring me back to the present moment and get through those stuck spots minute to minute, which was just so helpful to me. I did not have those kind of tools before. And I think my go-to was like, you can't think about that now, (laughs) right? Or I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. I just wasn't as capable of like moving through in a healthy way as I am now. So that, I think those were some of the big ones feeling like not enough. I can't do this. You know, just some of the self-doubt that I was able to work through. And then even some perfectionism stuff, like I'm sure there's something I forgot. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to get it right. I'm not organized enough. I'm not prepared enough. And um, working through that self-doubt or sort of the impulse to try to be perfect in in that trial setting was really, I mean, I think was tremendously helpful and really did help me show up confident and calm every day. That was made a difference. I think looking at this as a lifelong practice is so important and has been such a like helpful mindset for me that because I think that's a really forgiving way to look at it too, or you might have a day where you got stuck and I didn't journal and and so then you that's information. You say, okay, that didn't feel great and I didn't work with the tools, or it's all about you begin again every day, every minute you get stuck and you get stuck in the same places. And I think that will continue happening. And, but it's like having this way to work with those feelings and process all the things that are out of our control. It's just, yeah, I think it is. It's a, it's a day-to-day moment-to-moment practice. And I think that's why I, I, I still, I listen to your podcasts all the time. And I think you do a good job of using these small examples and we, you know, you talk about a new thing each week and it's, 
you don't like, okay, now I know how to do this. So now I'll move on and not have to worry about that problem anymore. There are certain patterns that I think are natural for us or that we learned. And so having something that is simple and concrete, that is a practice over your life, I think helps make the changes you want, helps over time to create the life you want. And I'm grateful to you for your help and your coaching in that. It's really made a difference for me. So Krista is pretty amazing, right? There is so much I love about Krista. Her open-mindedness, her desire to grow and evolve herself, her integrity with showing up and doing this work and being exactly who she says she's going to be. I am so grateful for her vulnerability in sharing her stories on this podcast, and I do hope that you were inspired by her, by the changes that she's made in her life, both in her mindset and in action. I am confident that she would love to hear your feedback, so please find me over on Instagram or Facebook, or even drop a note on my website on the page of this episode, and I will share all of the comments that you share with me with Krista. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I really appreciate it. And please know that the doors to the next six-week group journey are now open. If you are listening to this live, we will begin on Sunday, September 12th, 2021. You can head over to my website to learn more details. Wishing you a wonderful rest of your week. And as always, I look forward to getting emotionally equipped with you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you have to check out the Emotionally Equipped Journey, my six-week course where you study my tools in depth with me so that you can start creating real changes in your life. This course is totally different than reading my books or listening to my podcast, as they offer you the opportunity to start applying the tools to actual stuck spots in your own life. And this is where the real change begins. And what's best is when you complete the six-week course, you are invited to join my inner circle where you receive weekly support, motivation, and inspiration with making these tools a lifelong mindfulness practice. Head over to my website, shiragora.com for more information. I look forward to starting this journey with you.